Hi, this is Tori, and you're listening to Shift Change. It's a restaurant industry podcast designed with intent to highlight the trials and tribulations, the adversity and the struggles that the restaurant industry, my industry, is currently facing. Often this tends to go off on different tangents. I think a huge part of that and something that I touch on in this conversation you're about to listen to with Michael Reeder is that food is a universal language. You can maybe not speak the same language as someone else, but you can still break bread with them, whether you take that as a biblical reference or from Aladdin uh, with Apu giving him the bigger half um, and then passing it on to other people that didn't understand his situation. It's really a universal concept. Everyone needs to eat. How are we getting our food right now? There's major supply chain issues. Uh, some conversations bounce around, but what I'm very fortunate about is this long-form conversation with Michael pretty much goes like the other ones I've had with him. It does bounce around, but it's still tangible. He's, he's really good in terms of bringing me back with my ADHD and getting me back on track. But if we do sidestep, it still underlyingly remains what it is we do. Uh, for him, that is built very big on a daily routine. He talks a lot about that and how that's helped him. He talked about his process, trials and tribulations, but also cool triumphs. Um, sorry for the alliteration there. Uh, but really, from consistently in the past decade, he's really seen some key changes in his own life. Some of them he has made. Some of them has happened. Uh, they've just happened to him, and he's adapted. Um, but he's still been able to kind of shape and mold his, his future and his steps in that. So I really appreciate you joining on however you found this. I am thrilled that you're about to enjoy kind of an insight um, onto the conversation with myself and Michael Reeder. Uh, Michael is an accountant. He goes on better to explain what he does than I could. That's why I asked him to. Uh, but he's a, a wealth of understanding and just another really good human to uh, – to be in contact with and, and to learn from. So I'm humbled in the fact that he was able to jump on and share his thoughts today and let me share mine. Uh, so once again, thanks, Michael. You guys are listening to Shift Change. I hope you enjoy as much as I did. All right. Yay. How's your day so far? Let's just start there. How's your day? Uh, it's wonderful. It's a beautiful sunny day in Chicago. Uh, it's in the high 40s here, which in mid-April. If you're a Chicagoan, you'll take any day of the week coming out of a Chicago winter, even though it was a pretty mild winter. But, uh, yeah, it's a sunny day. I'm outside walking. Uh, grateful to be alive. Another day to optimize in carpe diem. So feeling blessed, feeling good. So all positive vibes on my end. How about yourself? I, I love that. Um, no, it's same here. I mean, for me, uh, I like to take some time on Saturday mornings to be on a couple calls anyways. Generally, it's more, um, you know, just trying to catch up with some friends here and there. I have some friends that are in the industry that might not be working on a Saturday morning, early afternoon. Most likely it's Saturday night. So even if you can just grab a quick phone call with somebody, sometimes it's great. And so, uh, so no, I'm, I'm, I'm great with it. It's, it's cool. It's part of my routine, you know, at least for Saturdays to, to be on the phone and make some phone calls in the morning that are, uh, that are enjoyable ones, not necessarily business ones, just the how, how, how are you doing? Absolutely. Um, but you're, I know your morning routine kind of before this happened, uh, this is, you know, something that I really appreciate 
uh, from you, Michael. Um, I don't know if it comes from your accounting background. Maybe it does. Uh, maybe maybe it's that part of it, but the routine, you know, people right now, I'm, I, I know you're probably seeing all over like LinkedIn feed, people are talking about how to establish that routine for yourself and, and giving their, you know, experience, sharing their experience on how they do it. Can you talk just a little bit about your day-to-day routine? Because for somebody who kind of bounces around um, like an enthusiastic tennis ball, I sometimes really... Uh, really appreciate seeing somebody else's routine and how they, they stay consistent in their process. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think that the reason why I have my routine and the reason why I'm religious about it, uh, and, and, and mind you, I, I, it hasn't even been a year since I've been doing this. I mean, um, like a lot of it has to do with self-awareness and figuring out every day for me what it takes for me inside this human body that I've been in for the past 33 years. How do I optimize my human experience? And it's been something that, mind you, it's not something that I'm not some guru here that's been doing this routine for years and years and years. I've just been doing it for months. So, you know, talk to me in a year from now and see how I'm doing then. But right now, um, you know, I mean, uh, a lot of it has to do with self-awareness. So, you know, you said, like, is it because of my accounting? You know, maybe, but I, I think it really just has to do a lot of, of me tripling down on being self-aware of who I am, how I'm wired, how I operate best, and really being self-aware of that and mapping my lifestyle to, to uh, live such a lifestyle. So, I mean, I, I consider myself an all-or-nothing type of person. I'm either going to not do something or I'm going to do it 100%. And so, um, you know, like before I've been on like this health kick the last – Gosh, I mean, let's just say it's been really nine months, really. So, you know, like that, like to, to anyone out there who's thinking about making drastic life changes, just do it one step at a time and one day at a time. And you'll be surprised, you know, uh, when days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months, not even talking about years, compounding years, you can make a lot of progress in your goals uh, by taking baby steps each day and you'll get results in months, not years. And so, you know, anyone out there that's looking to make life changes, don't, don't put pressure on yourself to try to change the world overnight. Just, uh, do, do baby steps one step at a time, one day at a time. And as you, as you stack up the weeks and months, you start seeing drastic results and it's super exciting and it just makes you want to keep going and going. But, um, so pretty much, uh, my routine is I wake up so this is like so around this time last year I wait around like oh around uh, uh, no, yeah no problem I don't know if you talk from that Chicago wind or not in your microphone uh it, 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 there is a little wind here yeah that could be screwing things up I apologize for that yeah, yeah, no worries um I just uh, I figured I figured as much as the the windy city sort of thing. Actually, you are right in that moment. Kind of sounds a little bit better too. But I don't. I'm not going to stop your walk. I, this is this is part of the routine thing, right? So this is. Um, I, I don't. I didn't need to cut you off further. But this is how you and I. This is how you and I met. Is part of this routine of yours every morning going out for this walk in the morning. I know that you schedule calls in the morning for people that you connect with on LinkedIn. Um, or I assume elsewhere as well. Uh, so I, I think that's great because that's kind of, that's how you and I got started. And also you connected with um, my partner, Omari, uh, without unbeknownst to you that we knew each other in that sort of way. Right. Uh, 
you know, and, and we ended up on phone calls, not but a week apart from each other. I think that's great. I think that's something to that. And you're right. You're right. It is that you can apply and that turn you're fading in and out again. I know this is like Saturn. We'll get these technical difficulties. And for all you listeners out there, this is part of the process. So hang in there. We have some good content coming your way. Nah, I love that. I love that. Tell you what. I can hear you now perfect. I can hear you perfectly now. Okay, cool. I wonder, um, I wonder, Michael, would it disturb your walk too much to try to just do it from your phone rather than the headphones and see how that comes through for a minute? Uh, yeah, I mean, I could try. Let's see. Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay, let's see. Oh, yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty good. Okay. How am I sounding now? Well, how about, okay, so good. So, like, maybe I don't have to hold it up to my phone because it seems like you're kind of on a speakerphone, so I can just kind of hold it out in front of my uh, mouth as I talk, which is better. Okay, so is that better? Yeah, absolutely. It sounds great. I think maybe it was some of the, just the movement from the mic. I assume, like, um, you know, earbuds in the phone with the mic piece sort of deal. Uh, but that sounds that sounds great. I've also, for the first time during some of these recordings, um, have been told that I need to be louder. One of the reasons that I've jumped on wanting to talk to people on the podcast is because I, I have many words. If you'd like to hear them, I'm happy to do it. It kind of gives me a realm to put these conversations, these longer form conversations uh, so for the first time in my life, I've been told I'm too quiet <laughs> and I need to speak up. Um, so there you go. Yeah. So maybe it's a bit of Let a, it roar. Uh, the speaker. On it. Yeah, right. So yeah, no, please. Uh, in terms of, um, yeah. we're talking about self-awareness. You know, you're talking about, you know, your, your health changes. But I also, you are still approaching this very humbly. I mean, I know you've made leaps and bounds in these just nine months you're talking about. Uh, but you know, you've, you've really, you've really made some progress in that. Um, you the importance of that daily routine helps with that. Oh, you're breaking up again. I don't know. Yeah, I just started hearing some of the wind coming back. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Maybe because I'm outside and, uh, maybe should I, I, I don't know, should I go sit down somewhere or... Yeah, but I don't want to. I don't want to stop your walk. How much longer you got? You got for your walk? Well, I got another. I got like a a good, you know, ninety minutes. So, but uh, here, let's just. Oh yeah, just here. Let's just keep trying it, and let's just see what happens. So, um, just cut me off if uh, if 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 the wind's kicking in again. It's kind of quiet right now. Can you hear me okay now? Yeah, I totally can. Okay, so pretty much, you know, I mean, uh, around this time last year. Uh, I, I weighed a good solid, like 260. Today, I weigh a good 180. Lost about 80 pounds over the last nine months a year. And so it's just been pretty much just uh, what motivated me was just being uncomfortable in my own skin. Uh, you know, my wife and I also wanted to start a family. So uh, excited to say that we have our uh, first child due in a couple months. So super pumped about that. And so, but Thank you. And pretty much ever since I, I started to lose the weight, it's just been something that I've been on a mission ever since. And it's been, I, and, and I've just been optimizing my, my human experience 
uh, as a result of it. And so pretty much I'm religious about my routine. I'm a zero or a hundred person. And uh, instead of going a hundred miles per hour, I'm being unhealthy. Um, I've, you know, pretty much reversed it all. And so getting back to your original question about what my routine is these days that I'm religious about is I wake up every morning and, uh, I start my day with a 90 minute walk, which is what I'm on right now. And, um, I, I, I own two businesses, which I'm sure we'll dive into, uh, throughout the podcast, but, uh, I don't have the, the time, you know, see, we all have the same 24 hours in a day and it's how we, uh, it's how we manage it, which makes the difference between a lot of us. And so I have to really compartmentalize my day. And so I don't have the, the, I don't have the ability to send the phone all day from when I wake up to when I go to bed. I have other tasks in my business that I have to tend to other gardens that I have to water uh, throughout the 24 hour cycle each day. And so I found that being on the walk is a great time for me to knock out phone calls. So I'm a, I'm a real avid networker on LinkedIn and I like to schedule phone calls with my LinkedIn connections just to network and talk shop and learn more about one another. That's how I got introduced to you. That's how I got, that's how I uh, got introduced to Omari. That's how I've gotten introduced to a lot of people over the past six to nine months. And, um, and just talking and networking for the sake of talking and networking. And that's it. The agenda stops there. You know, I mean, I tell people if we end up doing business together, great. If we don't, great. If I, if we end up referring business to each other, great. And if we don't, great. The, the main goal that I have in networking is just cultivating relationships and seeing what they manifest into. Um, I got, I got I, some wind. I love you. That. Got some wind. You hear that wind or no? Oh, yeah, but no, it was just at the last moment. It didn't come around to it. I totally. Um, I was going to jump in. Yeah, anyway, jump in. But, there was something I picked up on a webinar the other day, and it's something you know, content that you know, reading through and, and getting different people's eyes off of it. But it's it's that talking to people um, right now. You know, sales development representatives are having pretty rough time out there. Anyone who has to do cold calling with sales or or new prospecting. Uh, it's difficult in a lot of departments. Um, yeah, it's it's just insane. I, I heard the other day that somebody uh, was working on um, Omari's team <laughs> made 155 calls. We got two conversations. And we wanted more better guys. This isn't. This is just everyone's experiencing a, a sway with it. So talking about you know, still contacting those people though, and and keeping that routine in terms of keeping conversation flowing, whether it's networking for the sake of networking, uh, hoping that you pass it off. Uh, one of the guys was talking about the luck not existing. Um, guy Dale, uh, who I've been following recently, he was talking about how luck doesn't really exist. And for me, that's the, you know, where preparation meets opportunity, right? That's where luck is. But he really delved into that because, you know, he said, you might have someone call you one day and it's out of the blue or so it seems, and they're interested in your product and you suddenly book a meeting out of nowhere and you start talking to them and realize, well, Steve knows Greg and you've never sold anything to Greg, but you've been talking to Greg for the past nine months. And he happened to come across somebody. You've just been checking in with him, you know. It's laying that just human foundation of, of knowing people. That's, that's your network. And it, it, 
I think that at a certain point, we kind of all got this geared towards, well, expand your network, expand your client, expand your contact. And um, that's great. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I really appreciate human connections that are coming through. I, I, you know, was guilty of that when I first started, you know, making connections on LinkedIn. But now I feel like I'm really trying to actively um, see those connections like furthering and do more things. There was this great lady, motivational speaker, like Farrell, who was over in, in Britain. She just did this cool five minute bit with me because she she jumped on a podcast. So she goes, well, we'll do one of her, like my videos and I'll put it on LinkedIn. I love it. So um, she was talking about in terms of, you know, the crisis mode, you said we all have 24 hours in a day, right? It doesn't always feel that way or sometimes it feels like we could use more right. or less yeah. um, if everyone's stuck inside right now. But we all have that that 24 hours in a day. And the truth is that if it is what you do with it, and we're kind of all in this situation right now, um, you know, global pandemic means globally. That means everyone in some way is being affected, whether it not be directly or indirectly through family, whether it's through a job or career, uh, you know, a friend of a friend or just economically what we're going to be seeing. Everyone's being affected. So it's what you do right now with the moment is is kind of compounded. And I think a lot of people are seeing the stress from that. I think a lot of people are feeling the anxiety from that. And I think those daily routines are important to get in. Um I'm trying to create mine because I'm sure going to a place where I'm no longer seeing, you know, two days, like several hundreds of people a day. So it's definitely different for me as well. Um, so it's something that I admire in you and something that I know we've talked about before, but I definitely wanted to share it. In terms of, you know, you mentioned it might be recounting, it might not. Let's delve deeper into that, like in terms of what it is you do. You said you have two businesses. And by, by going through my notes that you so kindly read, you probably can see that I kind of understand, but I, I don't know if I'm grabbing, grabbing everything. I just see you so much as a consultant or as someone, you know, that does that in terms of it's so easy to talk to. Can you talk, can you talk about like what it is you do? Absolutely. Again? Absolutely. Not just for me, but for everybody and for yourself. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I love it. And uh, just real quick, uh, one thing that really resonated with me when you were just talking right there is just okay. is how um, routine equals action, right? Like your routine is like what you're doing each day, your daily actions, your daily routine. And it's a, and and one one thing that I've learned the past nine months is how connected, how interconnected your routine and your actions are to mindset. And so um, you know, uh, one of the core benefits of having a routine, which is like to me, routine is synonymous with mind with with action. Your daily routine routine, your daily actions, uh, really, um, mold your daily mindset and, and, uh, the human mind is the most powerful, uh, machine on planet earth. And so, uh, routine equals mindset, action equals mindset. So it's so true. And everyone is kind of, you know, in this global pandemic, everyone has to figure out a routine that works for them. And, um, I, I'm sending everyone out there, uh, positive vibes and energy. And I, and I hope that everyone can find a routine and adjust in this world that we're in, you know, like we're going to get out of it. Is it going to go back to normal? Is it going to be a new normal? We're going to dive into all that, but uh, routine slash action uh, equals 
mindset. And that's such an important thing for people out there to realize it's something that I tell myself every day. Okay. So what I do, so 33 years old, I own two businesses here in the greater Chicago area. I own a CPA firm and I own a franchise consulting business brokerage firm. So the latter, we operate like real estate brokers, but instead of helping people buy and sell businesses, uh, I'm sorry, instead of helping people buy and sell real estate, we help them buy and sell businesses. So, um, and uh, Tori, just uh, jump in whenever you want to jump in. I'm going to flow, but jump in whenever you want to jump in. So, um, uh, came out of college in 2010, 24 years old, dove right into the world of public accounting. My partner, Barry Swartz, uh, back then was my boss and he's uh, my forever mentor. He's taught me the ropes and everything in public accounting. Uh, so I've been in public accounting uh, for, you know, uh, nine plus years, approaching a decade in November of 2020. And um, so uh, I self-studied for the CPA exam right out of college when I was working for Barry. Uh, the name of our firm was Swartz Financial Management Inc. at that time. 2015 became a partner, switched the name to Swartz and Reader Advisors. Um, but some pivotal events happened in 2014 and 2015, which, um, which uh, changed the trajectory, not really changed, but pretty much um, launched me on the um, business trajectory that I've been on ever since. What happened was in 2014, um, we bought another CPA firm uh, in the greater Chicago area. In 2015, we bought another CPA firm in the greater Chicago area. And as a side note, my wife and uh, business partner Mimi Reeder has also been part of the team since 2013. Shout out to Mimi. Uh, she's amazing. Uh, without her, I don't know where I would be. She's been a, a great life partner ever since I've been with her. So I just got to give a shout out to Mimi right now since I got the little opportunity. So a little plug for Mimi right there. I know she's going to be one of the first listeners. So um, shout out to Mimi. But anyway, so uh, in 2014, we bought another CPA firm. And in 2015, we bought another CPA firm, both here in the greater Chicago area. And I was 27, 28 years old at the time. I needed something more than just doing people's taxes all day. I'm, I'm good at doing taxes. I understand it. It's my foundation and, and it's my base and it's not going anywhere, but I needed something more. And so all that went into buying another business, two businesses in my industry was really interesting when I was going through it, going through the process of, you know, the, the whole transaction of buying another business. And so did that in 2014 and then another one in 2015. And one of the clients that we got in one of those books of business was a self-employed franchise consultant. So that was the first time I ever heard of what a franchise consultant is. And so uh, uh, we still do this gentleman's taxes to this day. He's a great guy. I considered him one of my mentors in the franchise consulting industry. And he, um, I, started, I started picking his brain about how the franchise consulting industry works. And so, uh, he, and so he explained it to me how he connects franchisors to franchisees in all sorts of industries. Um, and gets paid commissions by the franchisors. It's almost kind of like a, uh, uh, an employment recruiting uh, structure in terms of like the franchise consultants' clients are, are franchisors and the candidates are the, are the prospective franchisees and the franchise consultant connects the, the franchisors slash clients to the franchise, prospective franchisees slash candidates and gets paid commissions by the franchisor slash client. So here I am. 2014, 2015, I just bought a couple businesses and I just got this tax client who's in the business of helping people buy businesses. So that was that thing that scratched that itch for me that I, I needed something more. What was that thing that I needed something more? And I decided, you know what, I'm going to open up my own 
business. I'm going to open up my own business broker franchise consulting firm and operate it as a second company uh, simultaneously with my CPA firm. And they're both going to complement each other. And so uh, I needed someone to run the darn thing. So my buddy, John Pace, uh, who was working in corporate America up until the same, uh, uh, up until that time, um, him and me, you know, uh, he's got a great relationship with me and Mimi. Uh, we've always talked about something to do together. We just didn't know what. So I reached out to him said, Hey, John, I'm going to start this business brokerage franchise consulting firm. I need someone to run the darn thing because I'm going to still be operating the day to day of the CPA firm. So do you want to, uh, you want to partner up and do this? And he's like, let's do it. So within a couple of weeks or less, he quit his corporate job and, uh, him and me and Mimi were the managing partners of what then was on pace franchise and biz hub. It was a, a playoff of his name, but we've recently switched the company to biz Fran hub. And so we've operated, so we've had our business brokerage franchise consulting firm since 2015. And we joined an organization down in Orlando, Florida called the franchise broker association as broker members. And so we've been with them. We've been, uh, affiliated with the with the Franchise Broker Association since 2015, um, having so much fun just working with people all across the country, helping them buy businesses, sell businesses, both franchise and non-franchise. I would say franchise is our core, is our bread and butter, but um, it just made more sense uh, starting the business. Uh, we just didn't want to limit ourselves to only franchising because there's a whole world of non-franchise business resales out there, both on the buy side and sell side. Absolutely. So we do everything. We're, we're business brokers. And I, I consider franchise consulting a, a, a subsect of business brokering. Like Business brokering is the umbrella term for the industry. And franchising is one subsect of, of business brokering. It's a major subsect probably the biggest subsect, but um, I think that I identify, I identify our company mainly as a business brokerage with franchise, with franchise businesses being like the, the, the main component of it, but not the only component of it. And so, yeah. Sense. And then, so we've, uh, we, we've been doing it since 2015. Uh, there's never a dull moment. And, but also since 2015, um, I, I cultivated a great relationship with the leadership team of the Franchise Broker Association. And so also, and they were uh, really impressed with my accounting and tax background. So in addition to being broker members of the Franchise Broker Association since 2015, I've also been the, with my CPA head on, I've been the affiliate CPA uh, of the Franchise Broker Association since 2015. And so in that context, I work with franchise consultants and business brokers all across the country uh, whenever they're working with, um, with, uh, with, with, with franchise buying candidates. I offer a one-hour free consultation call for their franchise buying candidates, and the brokers are always welcome to get on the call as well to answer their candidates' questions that they have, any sort of accounting tax, um, funding, entity structure, financial projection, questions that they have in regards to their prospective franchise purchase. And so it's just, uh, it's, uh, I, I offer, I, I get on these one hour free consultation calls. I dive deep into the franchise buying candidate situation, um, ask them a bunch of questions, put myself in their shoes and I provide the best advice possible. Like I said, accounting tax, finance, entity structure, financial projection, anything in that context that they want to talk about in regards to their prospective franchise purchase. I put myself in their shoes as, as if I were them, and I, and I tell them what, what I would do. They can take my advice or leave my advice. It doesn't bother me one bit. It's free. And uh, just naturally in that position over the past half decade, um, I've, I've built up a, uh, a nice book of uh, small business franchise clients as accounting and tax clients. So in addition to having BizFriend Hub, our business broker franchise consulting firm, we also, uh, Swartz and Reader Advisors, my CPA firm, has built up a nice niche for itself over the last half decade as a, 
as a go-to uh, CPA firm for small business franchises all across the country. So, um, and, and I've realized in this, uh, in this, in this niche that I have, uh, that I've cultivated over the last half decade, I've realized how important, how much of a need there, there was and still is uh, in this uh, franchise consulting business brokering industry um, of, of how much, how much of a need there there's been for, for a good front end quality advice for, you know, during the business investigation process, there's a lot of stuff where like when it comes to accounting tax entity structure, funding, financial projection, there's a lot of advice that needs to be, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that, the, that the, that the franchise buying candidate needs to get educated on. And it's up to all the middlemen and middlewomen that that franchise candidate meets along the way, i.e., the franchise consultant, the lender, the, the franchise consultant's team of resources, which is what I identify as, because I'm, I, I identify myself in, in the, my context as the affiliate CPA of the Franchise Broker Association. I, I, I identify myself as a tool on the tool belt of resources for other franchise consultants. So uh, other franchise consultants, whenever they're working with candidates that are looking to buy a franchise in any industry, by the way, like we're going to dive into the restaurant industry on this podcast, which I'm super excited about. But uh, for, uh, and, and when people think of franchising, they think of QSR as like the as like the oh like franchising you're talking about like chick-fil-a dunkin donuts like subway that's franchising right and yes but there's also franchise businesses in all sorts of industries and so um really uh there's really just uh there there's the uh the the franchise buying candidate really you know place their trust in all the middlemen and middlewomen that they meet throughout the business investigation process and and i've noticed a real lack respectfully a lack of good faith, front end, quality, thorough advice in the context of accounting, tax, funding, entity structure, financial projection advice during the franchise investigation process. So that is a problem that I've been on a mission to fix ever since I started. And, um, and it's just been, you know, it's just been um, snowballing in the most positive way year after year. And, uh, and it's super fun just, you know, cause like as a, as a multi-business owner myself, it's, it's super fun to just, uh, you know, do what I like to, to do my small part to help these, um, aspiring business owners be in the best position to succeed. I can't guarantee their success. You know, I can't guarantee their success, but I can give them as much knowledge as possible in order to increase their chances of success as much as possible. And so that's, that's my mission. Totally. Uh, I work with like, we, we do about 1600 tax returns over at our CPA firm. So that equates to, you know, cl- close to a thousand small business owners over at our CPA firm. Many of them are franchise businesses and over at our business brokers, we're working with buyers and sellers uh, every day, both in the context of franchising and non-franchising. And I'm all about, I'm all about, so like, you know, being a business owner, like money, like, you know, like we all want to make money, but one, like it's about lifestyle. And so for me, like what I love most about being a business owner is the lifestyle of it. You know, I mean, like obviously money is important. I'm I'm grateful enough that I'm making enough money to uh, live the life that I want to live. But what, what, what people crave, what, what what I've learned, what, what people really appreciate most about being a business owner is the lifestyle. And that's something that you want to talk about the food industry. I mean, Talk about talk about an industry. Yeah, yeah. It, as soon as go ahead. I could think of the chef owners, right? Because you you have to you have to know that when you're um when 
most of your cash flows in the cooler and that produce needs to be sold, it's the thinking of, it's the adapting. It's the, what are the chef specials today? What are, what are we spending more time to elevate and create that, that makes sense on all ends? The cross-utilization of products is huge in that, right? And I can go on about that sort of stuff forever, but but really just to touch on what you you hit there is, yes, it is about money. Because we need money for the lifestyle that we want. However, it's it's not just about that. You can... You can make a life and and live your lifestyle and what you enjoy doing. Some people look at entrepreneurs and be like, you're crazy, right? Like, I just, I hear that segment again from you. about this past, like, April Spain for you. Yeah. You know, uh, at, at least, you know, since, tw- if you will, uh, or at least 20, 2010, even, if you want to go the 10 years. That's, that's a lot in the decade. Um, that's a lot of cool key points that, that you're you're being able to get out there and make those more connections and do doing things for others, man. Putting somebody else in an, an in a slightly better spot, or even just being able to plant a seed that that you know that might come around and, and serve them well in the next few months. That's huge. You know, I have amazing. You know, um, I commend you for that. Actively seeking out leadership roles and things that you first sought out for your own benefit in some way, perhaps, but then you, how can I be of service to this? And how does that serve the lifestyle that I want? And that doesn't mean using people. That's not what this is. It doesn't just mean networking and getting someone on a connection list. It means actually like making that connection and, and talking to people and doing um, those things back and forth. But I'm so glad we're going to talk and, and dive into this because I, I know we've done that for a minute. We were speaking briefly about, you know, franchises, people think like the larger things, right? Like the Dunkin' Donuts and the McDonald's and the, yeah, there's that, but they're some smaller scale, um, you know, without you, you're thinking like a thousand McDonald's versus maybe there's you know, a, a hundred local sandwich soup shop or something that ended up taking off and then continuing to go. There's there's an interesting one that I know is the story behind the guy who um yogurt out there. The the little stores. Yeah um are you familiar with uh Yogli Mowgli? Okay. So the guy that started Yogli Mowgli is a yogurt shop, franchised it out, sold the business, made good money. He decided to open another little place just to have his own little spot. And, you know, of course, it's like organized and it's a great little health food spot. Uh, and some lady like begs him. I don't know if it was in Atlanta or in Texas. I don't remember that, but one of those, I think. But uh, just begs him saying, hey, like, I, I want one of these. But sell me one of these franchises. Sell me one. And that's kill me crazy now. So he built another concept. Kill me crazy. I don't know how it is over there. That, does that make it to Chicago still? I haven't been to Chicago, so I don't know. Never, I've never, never been, been to I, Chicago. I, I could have sworn on your LinkedIn profile that you like, went to the Art Institute like uh, School of Cooking or something like that here in Chicago. I know. In, okay. in Atlanta. Okay, well, you... Whenever, it, when, whenever you or Omari or both of you make it up to Chicago, 
847-302-3397. Text me. We're doing dinner. All right. Done. Done. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, you're, yeah, absolutely. I've, my mother's been up a couple times. Um, I, I could assume generally when I thought Art Institute, I would always think Art Institute of Chicago, Art Institute of Pittsburgh, but Art Institute of Atlanta, um, the culinary program when I was there was, it was awesome because of the people who were, who were really trying to make it awesome. It didn't go well for a lot of people. I can um, Came out of my schooling experience a little different there, Michael. <laughs> um, I, I came out in 08. Yeah. So kind of the basic thing I, I say is, you know, I went into culinary school making $9 an hour in 07. I came out in 08 with 28-ish thousand worth of debt making $9 right. an hour a year later. A year. Um, no, we're going to – like this is such a, so, such a great um, – like whatever like you're about to dive into i just like i feel it like in my intuition that like it just it resonates so much with lifestyle and living the life that you live right because like you know you have a passion for this industry so you know i mean nine dollars an hour ninety dollars an hour whatever this is your passion the food industry and so i'm just gonna keep on listening because i mean i can just like because like tori ever since i've been talking to you i've just been able to really sense really sense your passion about the industry that you're in and that's something i commend you for because that's what i mean we're only on this earth for so many years you know you ought to do something that you love and you definitely do something that you love i've been fortunate to you know fall in love with my day-to-day process over the past year i I, i've been a business owner for close to you know for for close to a decade but i like i but i that doesn't mean that i've necessarily been in love with I, i i thought that i you know making money and grinding hardcore 24 seven and sacrificing everything, including my, my health and my personal life for the, for the almighty dollar was the purpose of life. No way, man. Like the purpose of life is to be happy and to live a lifestyle that you love your day-to-day process. Shout out to Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm going to be dropping a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk nuggets of wisdom that, uh, that I've picked up from him and his content over the past year. Um, but yeah, just, uh, keep flowing because like when you were just talking about like coming out in 08, right in the recession, making $9 an hour, but here you are in 2020 still in the industry. That's a, that's a lifestyle of love right there. So I love it. Yeah. I, I love it too, man. I mean, I'll be honest. It's almost fucking yep. killed me like straight up. Doesn't like kill there, you, makes there, you stronger. Sometimes there's something right. And, and you got to keep, you got to keep running. Um, there have been times where, uh, you know, there've been times where the 60, 70 hours a week got to me and I will, I will never, um, I will never stay in the argument for the, you know, the servers and the chefs and and the restaurant I will never state whether or not back of house or front of house is harder, quote unquote. I think if you are not in a position that you can love and show up to every day, it doesn't fucking matter if you're back in front of right. back in front of house. You're not going to you're not gonna be you. You're not gonna be able to fill into it and, and sink into that. If you um it, there's a good baker friend of mine, Megan. She's jumped onto a couple of conversations with me, but it is really just long form and us throwing stuff back and forth. Like, can you fucking believe you know, and like, oh my god, that that person's there now and yeah, like we you know, just that sort of that sort of vibe. But she um uh, 
sorry. Uh, she said she said she wouldn't know what to do herself if she couldn't work with him. She couldn't feel the dough and feel the bread and do her thing. Like she wouldn't know what to do with herself. I saw this really cool piece of art um, the other night. It was just this like poster. Um, looking print or something and I'm looking at it and I'm seeing all the angles and everything I'm like this is fantastic like I love this it's all graphic design like I get closer to it it makes sense because like people do the movies I don't get the tech part man I, I don't get the tech part and so I move it it's totally different moving from you know working in the kitchen to then have to put that same menu into like a POS or micro situation, that just took time to learn. So coming out in 08, 28,000 in debt, um, you know, it's double-edged sword, I, that's for sure. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have, you know, family that, you know, helped me out here and there when I did hit the wall after working those 70 hours a week because you just can't function. Normal productivity tapers off after 35 to 40 hours. After an eight, eight to nine hour workday is when they say it generally tapers off. So if you're constantly scheduling your people for a 12 to 14 hour shift, I used to pull 15 to 18 hours of management on a Friday. I was there my entire Friday. I there at like 10, between 10 and 11 in the morning, depending on who was opening up and who else I had in the restaurant and what else we had to do. But, you know, I'd get there first thing in the morning and I'd work, open it, work through the lunch shift, be one of the only people there through the slow time because we call the servers for the most part. We might just keep one, you know, on the floor, but the tail end of lunch wasn't anything, you know, bartenders could do it. Then, you know, PM shift comes in. So you go from that AM PM shift with both servers and line cooks and bartenders, and you are the only front of house manager in existence in that restaurant for five, six straight months. Thank goodness someone put their hand up and said, no, this is ridiculous. I've closed the restaurant a few nights for you. Um, that was a bartender. That was one of the managers. <laughs> You know, so it, it was it was rough. Um, this this happens everywhere to everybody. This way, I don't say like a specific place. It doesn't matter where I'm talking about. It happened to me a couple times in different places. At a certain point, I had to look at myself too, and I'm taking this entire you know 15 years of what do I really love to do? What is it here that I really love to do? And part of it is in service. Well, then after, that's pretty general. Where, where do I go with that? And um, I've been fortunate enough to talk about mentors, you know, talking about um, the yeah, Barry, Barry Schwartz. Um, so, Barry, going from, you know, your mentor to your business partner, um, that's awesome. And I, I think if there's ever an opportunity to connect with somebody in a mentoring type realm, do it. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to now recently kind of felt on either side of that person who's helping me edit and record the podcast. I'm jokingly calling my spiritual guru right now. Um, cause he is, he is legitimately handholding of 
almost 31 year old woman through some of these steps, write this down, say this every day, like, like, like legitimately for this podcast. And I, I appreciate that so much. Um, he's, he's really uh, trying to organize that and put it in line. He keeps pushing, you know, make sure you're connecting with chefs and, and, and stuff and, and, and guidelines for it. Um, but he also said to me, not discount years of restaurant experience. Something that I've, I've been talking about lately. Yeah, absolutely. I have a love for it. I kind of fell into Frog House. I thought I was going to be a banquet chef for that job. Did not see that one coming. Ended up as like an assistant general manager um, and then continued to work, you know, with that company for a while. It was great. Like, it was, again, all like hit the wall. Um, but I got to bounce around a lot. I learned a lot. Uh, there's no doubt on that. I have learned copious amounts from working with amazing people that genuinely love what they do or are just really, really good at it. Um, it's, it's fascinating to me. So kind of with all, all those different connections that you're, you're able to make, whether it be like a phone call for someone you're working with, the hours that you work alongside people in the industry, your industry life, your industry family, there are plenty of people who will understand that I did not, um, I didn't understand what that meant in restaurants. I look back at it and I look at my restaurant experience and the people that I still invite to my daughter's birthday um, are the chefs that I was working alongside either in culinary school or at catering company, it may have just we may have just worked with each right. other for a year. I have nobody else there, and still call them chef. I like I can't help it. There's like a three. There's about three people that I only call chef. I can't not do that. Um. So I uh, it, it's it's there's this labor of love, the actual labor, the day to day of being on that line with people or being, you know, bombarded by 300 junk chats and Becky's coming to ask for stuff. And I have my Becky moment, so I can say that it's fine. Um, it's okay. But really, like, it's, I think what people don't get, and I, when you're talking about parts of the advice of it and you say, you know, this is, this is what you love to do. This is the great part about being a business owner. With the restaurant industry, there's something that's really been, I've always kind of known it, it's in there, but it really came to the forefront of my mind with everybody going crazy right now. Something that is pretty embedded in our culture is that that binge culture, right? That you work Monday through Friday, nine to five. You didn't get all the work done and you could do some extra stuff or you had to do like an extra late meeting on this day or you had just a whole week of meetings. So you feel like you're two weeks behind now. Out for like a Thursday happy hour, or you go out on like a Friday night and you blow your money, and that's cool. And you, you know, spend all you want your money, you earned it, but you're also blowing off steam. As nice as you think you're being when you're drunk and apologizing 10 times. <laughs> Chill. <laughs> like, like it's so hard to keep your level and be nice 
in kind three to five hundred people asking you for things and then expect to be able to take something decent part of humanity or self entrepreneurs feel the same way chefs restaurant owners to me um some of the original entrepreneurs um in, in terms of the small business everybody but it, it happens when someone's like huh i just got out of business school you know what i'm gonna open right. a restaurant good luck kid I, I- a restaurant? Like I, I know people like said that. They're still like, Tori, why don't you open your own place? I have advised people not to open them. If they're making forty to sixty percent off commercial real estate, don't what why would it go spend a thousand dollars at a restaurant that's home you rent then with your friends. Don't spend a thousand dollars a day keeping a restaurant open on top like on top of like in red and maybe more just to have right. a place for a restaurant so i think i talked myself out of three restaurants i probably have talked myself out of owning two restaurants with other people right. I feel like I feel like a restaurant. I feel like a I'd restaurant is the that. biggest mousetrap, like for aspiring entrepreneurs. Like it's the most common business model that people think that they want to get into. Like they convince themselves they want to get into, when in reality, what they're doing is they're mixing um, a hobby with business. And that's you know, I mean, like we like 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 there's so many like you hear about all the restaurants failing and stuff. So many people want to go into the restaurant industry because it's sexy, it's fun, it's owning a restaurant, it's awesome. But I mean, go like there's a difference between going to a restaurant as a patron and having a fun time with your friends or family and drinking and eating and having a nice meal and and actually owning a restaurant. My cousin owns a successful kosher style deli here in the greater Chicago area. And, um, and, 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 uh, and he is in nonstop. Like he, it is a heck of an operation and it's hard work running a restaurant. It's harder. I own a CPA. I'm in two service industries, my CPA firm and my franchise brokerage business brokerage. Um, you know, and running a restaurant, one restaurant is harder than, you know, running both of my, the, the two businesses that I have running one restaurant is much harder of a business endeavor. R- running a restaurant is not easy. It takes focus and it's easy. I, I see a lot of people throughout the years, you know, Oh, I want to open a restaurant because it's like, Oh, it'll be so much fun. And okay. But like, boy, you better get ready to work because the restaurant's hard work. If you are breaking, if you are making cost. In your first two to three years, opening and you better love the work too. Like you better love like like being in the dirt. Like Gary V always says, like like he's successful because he's simultaneously in the clouds and the dirt, and he's okay being in the dirt. Like he thrives being in the dirt. You know, he's a he came from a he's a he came from a his family was a poor immigrant family from Belarus. And they came to America, and so like, like like he can relate to like, but like and like now that he's successful, he's still he still mentally is in the dirt, like like and he puts himself in the dirt, and and like and, and so in the yeah, restaurant, like like and, 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 and in any business, but I mean especially in the restaurant industry, you have to love the dirt, and if you don't love the dirt, then you're in trouble. Oh, well, there you'll have it. You'll be in trouble. Um, it's really kind of fun and. and really cool for me to hear from someone who's not in the restaurant industry day to day 
to be able to approach that part so humbly. Let me just be clear. Running two businesses is nothing to shake a stick at. And the fact that Michael Reeder does it with his routine and with integrity every single day is huge. Uh, I appreciate, though, and I can't help but smile when I hear that running those two businesses isn't nearly as hard as his family members one restaurant to run. And just to touch on the reason why I think that is, I think that has to do with this routine that we're talking about. Um, Michael Reeder takes a 90 minute walk every morning and we'll reach out to people on LinkedIn to connect. So if you're looking to get a phone call with Michael, highly recommend it. Uh, He is a little booked out, generally has these calls booked out for months in advance, but he, uh, he'll make the time and he'll do his walk in the windy city of Chicago. One of the reasons I cut the conversation in half, um, we got a little windier towards the end of his walk. Uh, so I wanted to go through some of that audio because there's still a lot of great content in the second half of the conversation that I recorded with Michael reader, or maybe I'll record another one once we come out of this quarantine, but routine in a restaurant industry life with your owner or management It's really hard to find. You might have a rotating schedule for who works the weekends. So you might not know which weekend you're going to have off. Requesting time off is extremely hard no matter what position you have in a restaurant. Um, Really depends on how many staff you have, whether or not you're short staffed. Uh, The ownership side of it is if you're a smaller establishment and someone calls out, you're it. You know, for myself as a general manager, I felt that a lot. If there was another manager that couldn't be there or if there was someone who, um, you know, fell ill or had a family vacation they were going on for two weeks, I was the one who was there. So part of that routine in a restaurant, I've kind of jokingly said before, it's organized chaos, which means you have your checklists And you have all your people in their positions for that day. You're lucky if absolutely everybody shows up that day. If you have a full staff, great. Um, You set the tone for the shift by doing your shift meeting. And you try to put every, hopefully like pump everybody up, smiles on their faces. Hey, it should be a good day. And here's why. And here's how we're organized. And here's what we're focusing on this week. And here's the events we have coming up. And then you open your doors And you have hopefully hundreds of people coming through your doors in the course of a day, but they all have different needs. They all have different requirements. They all have different lives. They all have different personalities, different thoughts and feelings when they're coming into that door. And it's been seen as our job to make sure that they have a great time and customer service wise, they get everything they need. Uh, Some of these servers rely on that they get everything they need because they rely on tips only in certain states. There's no hourly wage. There's no backup if someone's not leaving a tip on on that receipt. There's no gratuity. Um, If people don't come into the establishment and you need less line cooks, that could be someone whose hours get cut. And therefore, how are they paying their phone bill that month? It could be really, really that, you know, much. If you're making $15 an hour and you lose eight hours, you lose a whole day. You know, that's your phone bill. And a lot of people work paycheck to paycheck uh, in our country, not just in the restaurant industry. 
So it's really, it's really humbling to hear it from somebody who's outside of it, of that understanding. And I hope that that keeps going through and that, that this is part of what this podcast is for me as well, is just highlighting some of those trials and tribulations, highlighting the understanding of it, and also somebody else's business approach to certain things. I think it's great just to hear a long-form conversation between two people who are highly passionate about what it is they do. And I hope, um, again, that you guys enjoy it as much as I do. This is Tori McKinley. You just listened to a conversation with Michael Reeder. Again, I hope that you will reach out to him on LinkedIn. It's a great connection to have if you're looking for some advice on um, the buying and selling of franchises, or if you're looking for a certified um, accountant, um, really, really a, a good person to talk to. So I hope that you guys have enjoyed this episode. This is Tori, and you just listened to Shift Change.